What the enemy wants to do is to control you. He wants to kick down the gates of your life and control the rest of your life. In your mind, in your will, in your emotions. Does that make sense to anyone? It's what he wants to do. And what you have to say is, no more. Uh, But when you graduate from high school, sometimes you have this thought, baby, I'm 18 now. Uh, Let me tell you, I needed people watching over the gates of my life. Now you move into levels of accountability. Somebody say this, please. Say it, please. Please. Hold me accountable. accountable. Say it again, please. Please. Hold me accountable. accountable. Now, uh, Now is the time where you begin to look at some things and determine whether or not they will control the rest of your life. It's graduation season. I got off of a plane this morning. Uh, got home at about one this morning, and um, but I had already planned this. It's graduation promotion Sunday. Our associate pastor Preston is coming to share the word. <laughs> Student ministries, love you. You know when when you go through school and you finally um, hit senior year and you get ready for graduation. It's funny, but we call it graduation ceremony, but essentially what it is, it's a commencement, right? And in order to be able to go to your commencement ceremony, you have to, what it says is you've, what it means is you've already completed the necessary tasks. You've done math and, and English and science and maybe computer programming if you're slacking off in your senior year. I only know that from some experience. But you do all these things so you can make it to the commencement ceremony. I'm going to get to that. At the, at the end, um, but I believe, you know, in, in staying on with, you know, exceptional living, we've got an exceptional so- assignment, and there's a moment right at the end of, you know, after Jesus came back from the grave, where Jesus basically gives a commencement um, speech. You know, I have students, especially around this time, all the time, they could be they could be freshmen, or they could be seniors in high school. They could be in middle school, and they just tell me, Preston, I don't know what God's plan is for my life. <laughs> yeah, me neither. <laughs> I have no idea what God wants you to do. But I know something that God wants all of us to do, 100%. I can't tell you where to go to college. I can't do, tell you what to do with your major or what you should major in, but I can tell you 100%, I know what God put all of us on the earth to do, and it's found in Matthew 28, 19 through 20. And that's going to be um, really, it's going to be our main text for today. It's therefore, or sorry, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I, I initially was going to break down like every bit and piece of this passage, but I looked at my notes and I told my wife, I was like, babe, I'm going to preach for like three and a half hours. And so I'm doing everyone a favor and, um, and I'm not going to break down every piece, but I'm grabbing some, I'm going to grab some words out of here that I think no matter how old you are, um, no matter what grade you might be in or how many years you might have been out of school, there's things that all of us ought to do and need to do in order to really graduate, right? And be sent out, you know, have that commencement speech, be able to expect this commencement speech from, from Jesus. And first thing is there, or go therefore. And I don't know if it was my dad or it was if I had another teacher that told me this, but they, they told me, if you're ever reading the Bible and you come across the word therefore, find out what it's there for, right? Go therefore. It's like, it's like uh, if, you're, if you're a parent and you tell your kid, therefore, go clean your room. Like, what's the therefore? Like, there's purpose to it, right? So sometimes we read these scriptures and they make us feel really good, but we miss part of the story because we don't go to see what... The therefore was therefore. So if we go back, if you're in your Bible, go back a couple scriptures. We're actually going to go back to Matthew 28. And we're going to hit 16 through 18. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. And we know there were, the reason why there's only 11 is because of the whole Judas incident. 
The 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's when we hit, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And when I was reading this initially, like, Jesus is saying, all authority has been given to me. And I'm like, all right, but Jesus, you're already like healing the sick and raising the dead. And like, you were already doing all these things. Demons were being cast out in your name. And now you're saying, all authority has been given to me. See, when Jesus rose from the grave and claimed authority, essentially what he was doing was he was claiming rights to everyone on heaven and on earth. By going to the cross and being crucified, by dying and then rising again, he had rights to everyone. He was saying, you know what? From here on out, people are going to have to answer to me. All authority, not just power, but authority. I have the authority over everyone. That's why it's imperative that you guys go and you make disciples. It gives a bit of a bigger picture to why it's so important that we go and we make disciples. Another way to say it would be because everyone will one day have to answer to me. Because one day there will be a moment in time when everyone that's ever been is going to have to answer to me. So I'm going to need you to go make disciples. This is the part of the Great Commission that most of us honestly have the biggest problem with. The go. You know why more people aren't in better shape? Because they don't go to the gym. You're welcome. That was just for you. That was for for you. (laughs) Because they don't go to the gym. You know why some people... You know why some people have infections in their body that flourish? It's because they just ignore little symptoms and those symptoms become bigger and they don't go to the doctor. You know why parents feel disconnected from their kids? Because they don't go to their baseball games and they don't go to their dance recitals because we have an issue with getting up and going. There's so much power in the first word of this scripture is go. Go. The big truth in the opening of the scripture is this. The the Bible might be written on paper, but our faith is not meant to be stationary. Bible studies are great. We've got a really great men's Bible study that meets on Thursday nights. If you want more, in, if you want more information about it, Cliff is over here. Yep, Cliff's over there. I thought I saw you. If you want more information, we've got a good group of men that get together. I don't know how many guys. I just know I see, your, see the parking lot full on Thursday nights. So, like, if you want to be a part of a Bible study uh, and you're, you're a man, like, get with Cliff. It's great stuff. But I think sometimes we get stuck in Bible studies. Get this, what kind of relationship would you have with someone if all you did was research them? Like, what if, what if all you did was, like, like, creep on their Facebook and Instagram and, like, memorize all their tweets? What if, like, you went and talked to their eighth grade Spanish teacher, asked the cafeteria lady what you used to eat when you went to school, and then you decided you'd build a whole diet plan off of what they ate for school, for school lunch? What if, you would, what if you committed every detail of their lives to your memory? I'll tell you what, you're not a friend. You don't actually have a relationship with the person. You're just a creep. And I think, I think a big problem that we have, I think we have a, a big problem that we have in the church is God wants to be our friends, and we just want to be his creep. We want to creep on him. We want to find out all the information. But God, or Jesus here in 
and Matthew 28 says go, and we're saying I'd rather just research. See, sometimes the research makes us feel better because we can talk about the facts. But we need, the calling isn't research, the calling is go. See, Bible studies are important because at some point you've got to know what is in the Bible. But there's, at some point, we have to stop being Bible researchers and we have to start being Bible doers. James 1.21 through 26. Therefore, put away all the, the filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive the, with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Receive the word, which is able to save your souls. But, everybody say but. Be doers of the word. See, listen, whenever somebody says, inserts the word but or however into a conversation, they're saying, don't pay attention to what I just said. All right? It's important, but don't pay attention to it. Somebody's ever like, girl, you're so pretty, but... Find the exit because your feelings are about to get hurt so bad. You try out for a sports team, yeah, you, you could really throw the football, but you're about to get canned. Everybody say, but. but. Be doers of the word and not only hearers, deceiving yourselves. This is what I was just talking about. Some of us, we research the Bible so much, we really fill ourselves with the Word of God so much, and we deceive ourselves like we're actually doing something that's worth something. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and once forgets what it was like. But the one who looks into perfect law, the law of liberty and perseveres, being no, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Be a doer. We've got to do it. We, we need Bible studies, but we also need Bible doings. That's why I'm so excited about spring and summer coming. We do these Matthew parties with the youth group. If, if you ever want to jump into a Matthew party, it's, man, it's so awesome to watch these kids. It's hilarious. We buy like 100, 200 cheeseburgers from um, McDonald's. We order them in the morning, and we go pick up bags and bags and bags of cheeseburgers. And we just hit the beach, or we hit a park, and we go find people who are hungry, and we give them food. It's that simple. And you watch these, you watch these students just light up, because sometimes we make ministry too difficult, when Jesus said, feed people that are hungry, like, don't we need a logo? Don't we need, like, a committee? No, we don't need logos, com committees. You don't even need, like, a Facebook event. You just got to find needs and meet them. So you want to be free of filth and wickedness? Be implanted, fixed, rooted in the Word. That means you can't be moved. The Word can't be, be moved from you. But once you understand, okay, the word can't be moved from me, it's time to move on to the next step, which is doing something about it. I want you to know, if your faith doesn't move you, you don't actually have faith. At most, you have a feeling. If your faith doesn't move you, you don't actually have faith. At most, you just have a feeling. You feel a certain way about something. I love the way it feels that Jesus set me free and I can have, I have hope for eternal life. It makes me feel good. But you don't actually have faith because it doesn't move you to do anything about it. I thought Preston was going to be nice. <laughs> of all the things Jesus could have said right before he ascended to heaven, he told us to go. But for some reason, we spend a lot of time figuring out why we can't, why we shouldn't, why we couldn't. And Jesus didn't ask for excuses. He just said, go. Second thing, go, therefore, make disciples. 
See, if you make it past the go, that big two-letter word, if you make it past the go, the next hurdle you hit is make disciples. A lot of us struggle here because the first word, make, make, it's make or build or create or form or develop. Making disciples like building a house is tough work. It's tough. Sometimes I think people get into like certain programs where you're supposed to be making disciples because it feels glamorous because everybody's coming to you for answers. But it's not glamorous and it's hard work and that's why they fail. Matthew 4, 18 through 20. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. That's a good reason for them to be throwing a net in the sea. And he said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Tell you what, I'm not a great fisherman. I used to love to go out to the pier. Anybody ever fish like at the pier or like on the inlet and stuff? I, I've never cast a net before, but I imagine it's something similar. I did a lot of fishing. I wouldn't say a lot, a lot, but my dad and I did a bunch of fishing. We've caught, as they say, a mess of catfish in ponds. And we've, so I know a little bit of, about fishing. And the funny thing about fishing is you can't stay home to go fishing, right? First thing you have to do is you have to go to the water. No matter what kind of fish you're, you're trying to catch, you got to get to the ocean, you got you to get to a bay, you got to get to a pond, whether it's fresh or salt, you got to get to the water. Second thing you have to do is you got to figure out what kind of fish am I trying to catch? Am I using a rod? Am I using a net? Am I using a trap? All these different things you've got to figure out. I've never fished with a net before, but I imagine something similar. Then what you have to do, there's a lot of casting, a lot of reeling in, and a whole lot of waiting. A lot. See, Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. There's going to be a lot of casting, a lot of reeling in, a lot of waiting. And then at just the right time, if, I don't know if anybody's been fishing before, but if, especially with a rod, you throw it out, and maybe you've got a bobber if you're like fishing like in freshwater, and you're just holding. If not, you've got your, your finger on the line, and you're, you're waiting for the pool. And when you feel the pull, you know you've got to fish. You've got to pull the, the rod back, and then you start reeling, and then you've got to fight on your hands, right? It's amazing. I, I've fished a lot at the pier, and that fish will be on the end of, of your line at the pier, and you will, in my head, it'll be like a 40-pound something. And I get that joker up. I'm like, how? I'm like 180 pounds. This thing is like a pound and a half. I'm going to need to catch at least six more of these things if I'm going to eat dinner tonight. And it, just, I, it got me sweating. But that's what discipleship is like. It's a lot of casting. It's a lot of reeling in. It's a lot of waiting around. And then at just the right time, you know what? You're going to have a little bit of a fight on your hands. You're going to have to work. You're going to have to work it out. But if you do, what you have at the end is you've caught a fish. You know, sometimes we think of Jesus as 12, especially the 11, as super spiritual saints. You know, throughout history, artists have painted the disciples, you know, like lounging with like these big gray beards, eating grapes and drinking a Merlot. You know, they're just like, they're just talking about philosophical things. What we don't realize oftentimes, most of the disciples were probably teenagers. That's why when we read like Jesus um, calling uh, Peter and Andrew, they're out fishing. And he's like, hey, guys, follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. They're like, okay. 
Imagine calling like a 16-year-old kid, like, hey, I want you to come be a disciple. Can I finish my Fortnite game first? But that's all they really got going for them. It's like the reason why they could follow Jesus and drop everything because they didn't have a whole lot to drop. It's not like they had like a wife and kids and a mortgage and all these things that had them tied down. They're, Jesus was like, hey, you want to come, come be my disciple? Yeah, sure, sounds good. What we don't realize is a lot of them, a lot of the disciples were probably um, like dropouts of Jewish Sunday school. Like they just didn't quite make it, right? They weren't quite smart enough, couldn't memorize enough. And they're like, no, you can't be anybody's disciple because you're not just quite smart enough. Because historically, you had to pass all these tests. And then if you wanted to be a rabbi's disciple, if you wanted to be a disciple of a teacher, you had to go find a rabbi and be like, hey, I can do this. This is my resume. I know all these scriptures. And these, rabbi, these rabbis would test them. and Be like, okay, we'll quote this, quote that. And then if he thought you was good enough, he'd be like, all right, you can follow me. And by follow me, he didn't just mean stay on my heels. He means when I'm gone, you can do what I do. So when Jesus flipped the script, and instead of ever all these disciples trying to find him, he went and found his own. He walked up to these kids that were failures and said, hey, I want you to follow me. Like, whoa, that makes that paints a bit of a different picture. When I'm gone, I want you to do what I do. So then we get to Matthew 28, where Jesus is saying, go. They're like, oh, you really meant follow what you did. See, Jesus spent a lot of time with these boys, with these teenagers. I call Jesus the first youth pastor. He spent a lot of time with them. He was teaching them. He spent a lot of time correcting them. One of my favorite corrections was when um, the kids were trying to get to Jesus, and the disciples were like, no, Jesus is busy right now. And Jesus was like, hey, stupid, let the kids in. Kids are cool. And then you got Peter, who like Jesus is talking about the crucifixion and how he's going to save the world. And he's like, no, we can't let that happen. And Jesus like, get behind me, Satan. Like, that was a burn. Like, Jesus just called you Satan. I imagine like one of the other disciples in the background like, oh. <laughs> you know they were like ragging on him for weeks. If they were my friends, I would have been ragging on them. Like Jesus called you straight Satan, dog. Satan. You messed up. And then Jesus again. Jesus is about to get, um, he's about to get arrested. And Peter pulls out a knife and cuts the dude's ear off. I can't blame him too much for that one. But again, he's like, Peter, stop, dude. Like, I'm trying to save the whole world. There's a lot of correction that went on. If this is the... This is the cycle of discipling, and I want you guys to write this down. There's really, I could throw more steps. I'm going to make it real simple. Three easy steps to discipling somebody. First one is live. If you want to disciple someone, you got to live with them. I'm not saying they have to be in your guest room. I'm saying you have to, like, do things with them. You got to live with them. You got to laugh with them. You got to cry with them. You got to hurt with them. You got to help them. You got to do all these things. You got to take them out to a movie. You got to meet them for ice cream. You got to do all these things. If you, First thing, if you want to make disciples, is you have to live with them. Second thing. Second thing is you have to teach Get this, if you're not willing to learn, no one can teach you. If you're not willing to teach, you can't complain. Lots of, lots of people, especially as I get older, I, I realize like so many people just complain about the, la the next generation. I will, what, which person in that generation are you teaching? Because if you're not teaching them, you have no right to complain about them. Teach. So live. Don't get out of turn, though. You can't skip steps. You have to live with them, laugh with them, cry with them, hurt with them, help them. Then you can teach them. And then the third step is correct them. See, the problem with correction is twofold. One, correcting people makes us feel good. 
makes us feel like we're smarter than them, makes, it, makes us feel like we've got everything together, makes us feel like we've, so, we've grown up so much, like we weren't all riding with training wheels on just a few years ago. Correction, part of the problem with correction is it makes us feel good, sometimes too good. The other problem with correction is most of the time we don't really like to be corrected. We don't like people telling us what to do, where to go. We don't like it. That's why it's so important that we keep these three things in line. Live, teach, correct. It's just how the way it has to be. John 8, 1 through 11. It's like Jesus was obviously like the master at discipling people. But he did it like... For some of us, discipling is going to have to happen over the course of months or years. Jesus did it in a moment. Watch this. John 8, 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Go to, the next, go to the next one for me. Now in the law of Moses, uh, law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger in the ground. I love this part. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But then they heard it. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one con- condemned you? No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So Jesus hit like a rapid pass with the discipleship thing. He hit all, all three points real quick in one moment. See, Jesus, first he lived, lived. He showed compassion to her. First, he showed compassion to her, right? Because he looked up and he said, um, he, he, didn't, he wasn't one that started condemning. They didn't bring her and say, well, yeah, that's what the law says. Let's go get a stone. He looked at her and didn't just see her sin, but he saw her. Second thing, he taught, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. He was teaching her. It was a moment of teaching that said, you know what? Everybody sins. Nobody's better than you. In that moment, he was casting shame away from her. Let him who is without sin throw the first stone. And then... He didn't just save her life and send her on her way. Hey, no problem. Let him who has no sin throw the first stone. He's, then, once everything was done, he said, you know what? Go, and from now on, sin no more. He didn't say, it's okay, you can live however you want. It's fine. Keep screwing around, it's cool. Just go with what you feel. Don't, do whatever feels good. Chase happiness. That's not what he was saying. He said, go and sin no more. In one moment, Jesus made a disciple. So we got, go therefore, and we've got, make disciples. And then this last part is, of all nations. Now, if you've gotten past the go therefore, make disciples, this is where you're going to get extra nervous. Because a lot of us like living in the United States with running water and heat and air conditioning and our gas prices, even if we don't like them, they're better than a lot of the world. (laughs) And you're like, God, don't send me. (laughs) Please, Jesus, don't send me to the Congo. (laughs) This is the part where we get nervous. Now, we live in a time where we are out of excuses for of all nations. 
or out of them. It's not like I can't go there, I don't have the money, you know what, I can't because X, Y, and Z. We make, we, we've made up excuses for years. Some of us have made up excuses for years why we can't touch all nations. But we're out of them. The truth is, is some of us will go to South Africa, some of us will go to South America, some of us will go to Asia, and some of us struggle go to, to go to the living room. But we're called to all nations. You know, I don't think we're all called to be missionaries. But I think it's clear that we do have a responsibility to all nations. I don't think it's, I don't think everybody has to give up a month or a year of their lives and go live in some place that you don't want to live in. But I think it's clear Jesus said, go make disciples of all nations. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But you will receive power. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the number one purpose of the Holy Spirit is to empower us to be witnesses. What do witnesses do? They see something, right? They've experienced something. Why do, why do witnesses get called to the stand in court? Because they saw something, they heard something, they experienced something. And what, what this is saying, you will, be, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. The whole purpose of the Holy Spirit is so that we can be witnesses. The purpose of the Holy Spirit is not to say funny words and fall down. That is not the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Do I believe in those, in the, in the Holy Spirit? And do I believe in speaking in tongues? Have I experienced being slain in the Spirit? 100% absolutely true, yes. But if all you do is say funny words and fall down on the ground, then nothing, nothing empowering is happening. How has that changed anybody but yourself? 1 Corinthians 14, 18 and 19. I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you, which is hilarious to hear somebody say. As Paul is talking, and he's talking about all these people speaking in tongues, like, yeah, it's great. But really what everything leading up to this is, is saying is, he's basically describing how if you're speaking in tongues, it's just for you. It's not for anybody else, unless somebody interprets the tongue. And how it would be much better just to prophesy, say what God says. In the, in the native language. He's, then he gets to this and says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words in my, with, with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. See, this whole chapter is about how building, how speaking in tongues is a build up yourself, but really we've got a calling to build up the church. And if we're going to be witnesses in all nations, we're going to make disciples in all nations, what we have to be is witnesses. We have to accept the power that the Holy Spirit puts in our lives and be witnesses. And there's three places that we need to be witnesses. One, we need to be witnesses personally in the home. More than anybody in the whole entire world, more than anybody in the whole entire world, your family needs to know that you are a witness for what the Holy Spirit can do in your life. Be a witness in your home. Second thing, be a witness locally. That means your neighborhood. That means at the church. That means at your work. If you are an undercover agent for Jesus, you're not an agent for Jesus at all. There's no undercover Christians. You know, truthfully, truthfully, I like to, um, when people ask me what I do for a living, when I first meet them, 
I like to hide it as much as I can that I'm a pastor. And the reason is I like people to be real. It's the moment I say, well, I'm an associate pastor, they're like, oh, I go to church? <laughs> like, cool. Which one? Uh, the one. It's on the street, man. It's, um, I can't remember the name of it. What's your pastor's name? It's like Bill, Phil, Gil. Like, you don't go to church. Get out of here. Don't commit a sin just because I'm a pastor. That's a terrible reason to sin. But I like, to, I like to keep it undercover a little bit, just what I do when I first meet people so I can get real with them, so I can really live with them. But you can't keep your Christianity undercover forever. And if you are, you're not doing anybody a favor. Personally, locally, and then globally. We've got to be witnesses to unreached people. You know, there's a story in the Bible in Matthew 14 where a boy gives Jesus five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus had 5,000 people. That's the big reason, the big problem that like the Pharisees and everybody had with Jesus was that he always had a crowd and it looked bad. But Jesus had 5,000 people, and he needed to feed them. First of all, most of us would be like, they just need to go home. (laughs) But Jesus was like, find me some food, and we'll pray over it, we'll bless it, and it's going to multiply. And Jesus took five loaves, a couple fish, he prayed, he blessed, and he fed 5,000 people. My thought is this, if Jesus can feed a multitude with a little more than a Lunchable, How much more can we do with all the resources that we have at our fingertips? I don't know if Christelle is in the room. She was in here a minute ago. She, you guys know Christelle. She plays. Oh, she's in the back. There she is. Found her. Christelle's in the back. Man, so proud of Christella. And she's probably happy sitting in the back because I'm going to talk about her for a minute. But um, so proud of Christella. Her and Danielle sang on Easter. Um, if you guys don't remember, but if Christelle is getting ready to do a, a mission trip to Ukraine, her family like is her family is just rocking in Ukraine and uh, really loving kids there and rescuing kids there. If you've ever been blessed by Christella's worship and worship leading, find Christella right after service. Go bless her because she needs some more money for her trip. That's just like a side plug right at the end of this sermon. But what does it take? What does it take to reach globally? For a a lot of us, it's going to look very different. For some of us, it's going to be that dollar a day, you know? There's so many so many ways that you can get plugged in. We've got so many, um, we've got so many missionaries that we're, we've got connected here at Freedom. We've got people in, in Peru, Colombia. We've got people in Thailand. We reach all across the world. In Africa, all you have to do, I've learned this. All you have to do, if, if you want to make a difference, all you have to do is you have to find a need, and then you have to meet that need. And some of us look at all these problems around the world and say, man, it's too big. How could, I ever, how could I ever make a difference? It's that whole illustration of eating an elephant, right? How do you, need, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. Just one. Making a difference. You know, years ago, we held an event here. We, had, um, we put a, a boxing ring on the stage, and we had a kickboxing event. And we were able to build three water wells in Congo. It was, a, it was a little bit of effort here. We had some volunteers get together. We had some guys put on a show. And because of it, 700, more than 750 people had clean water for the very first time. And they got to hear the message of Jesus Christ. All you have to do is say, okay, there's a need. What can I do about it? And maybe you're not the guy that goes feed on the ground, but you know what? You could pick up some aluminum cans and turn it in and say, hey, I made 50 bucks. 
Here's 50 bucks. What can we do with it? All you have to do is ha find a need and then figure out what you can do with it. Really what it comes down to is caring. Most of the time we don't do stuff because we just don't care enough. Because it takes too much time to think. It's easier to sit down and binge watch something on Netflix. We just have to have a want. This is the thing. I talked in my opening about how you know, our graduation ceremonies are really commencement ceremonies. And Dad, you were hitting on this when we were doing our opening uh, prayer this morning. And I'm afraid sometimes the only time we ever recognize people as like graduating when it comes to Christianity is when they die. You know, because we wait, we wait for the good, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. But, and I know we're saved by grace, and I know we don't, we're not saved by our works, but there are some things that Jesus really would like us to do, and he says, go make disciples of all nations. And so anybody that will, we're going to go ahead and close. I'm going to go ahead and close. Let's go ahead and stand together. Anybody that will, I want you guys, let's go ahead and meet down in the altar area together. Let's crowd on down. Crowd on down. This is the thing. Today is a commencement for us all. Okay, congratulations if you've accepted Jesus. Congratulations if you've accepted Jesus, you've graduated. You don't have any extra homework. You don't have to make like a model of a DNA or anything. You don't have to like, you don't have any more book reports to do. You've graduated. You know who Jesus is. He has absolutely changed your life. Today is the day. And in the same way, right before it, guys, it blows my mind. Jesus could have said all kinds of things right before he ascended into heaven. He could have said, hey, guys, remember that time I walked on water? You want to know how I did it? But he didn't. Hey, guys, remember when I took the loaves and the fish and I fed 5,000? You want to know how I did that? But he didn't. The most important thing that he could come up with to talk about right before he left the earth was, guys, you've seen what I've done. You've been there with me. You've experienced it. You saw the blind see the dead raise. Now go. You've lived with me. We've laughed together. I've taught you. I've corrected you. Now Go. Today is your commencement day. I think there's a, a, a handful of us at least that really need to fall on our faces and say, you know what, God? All I've been doing is studying you. All I've been doing is researching what you've done when you called me to go do it. Jesus said greater things You'll do greater things than I've done. You know, when I was a kid, I was like, how? How? You know what's crazy is Jesus fed 5,000 with some fish and some bread. Man, the technology that we have today. You know, when it comes to all nations, most of us just need to consciously expand our reach the technology that we have today if we would in love make some relationships teach some people about Jesus man we could really impact the whole world the world is such a small place today it's so tiny it used to feel like such an impossibility but it really I'm going to pray over you. I'm going to send you out. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word. Jesus, thank you for this word.
Everybody pray with me. Jesus, we repent. We repent for just researching you, researching your life, researching what you did, the miracles that you did, for learning all the facts, but not actually following you like you said. We repent because you said go and we said stay. You said make disciples and we said that's just too hard. God, we repent. Everybody raise your hands and say, I commit. Today is my commencement. Today, today is my commencement. I have graduated. Today, I start making disciples. You know, it's funny. The Bible doesn't say anything about convincing people to say a sinner's prayer. But Jesus said, go make disciples. Today is the day. Jesus, today is the day we are committed to following you. We are committed to furthering the kingdom. God, I pray that you be with your people, with your children. God, I pray that even right now their hearts would be changed. Even right now, faces of friends, co-workers, of their kids would pop into their minds and those would be the people that you would call them to go disciple. God, I pray that you would encourage them. You would give them courage. They wouldn't be afraid. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would go with them. Wherever they go, people would know you because of them. We thank you, Heavenly Father. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Just stay, stay here just for a second longer. Stay with me just for a second longer. I know we, we need to get our kids to get on down the road, but, but catch this. Somebody again, say, welcome, Holy Spirit. After Jesus, as Jesus was going to the cross, he paused with his disciples and he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. One of the things that's interesting about being multi-denominational is this, is that uh, there are people that have so many different beliefs about the work of the Holy Spirit. What Preston told us today was the Holy Spirit is, in fact, the, the driving force behind discipling and winning the lost. He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So would you open your hands and just say, I receive. Say that, I receive the Holy Spirit. Say it, I receive the Holy Spirit. Now, the gifts of the Spirit, some people think the gifts of the Spirit are for gymnastics in a church service, but the gifts of the Spirit are more for occasional words of wisdom. The gifts of the Spirit are so that when you leave this place, you will leave with confidence, knowing that God will use you. So go ahead and say, use me, Holy Spirit. Use me, Holy Spirit. Listen, you're going to be able to talk to people that you've never spoken to before. You hear what I'm saying? You're going to be able to speak to people that you have thought there is a cultural divide between you and them. But God says no. You know, if there's an evidence of that, okay, I am a white kid from Southern Ohio who had one person of color in my entire graduating class. And one day God told me, and I gave this to you on All Nation Sunday, God told me, I want freedom to be a church of every tribe and every tongue and every nation that worships together in unity, all right? You see what I'm saying? So, so we're a church of all nations. God can use you. Just get ready to talk to somebody that you never anticipated talking to. And get ready to pray with somebody. How many believe God will use you just in prayer? Anybody believe that? Now, I'll show you this. You can ask somebody. Ask somebody. You see somebody in struggle. You're going to see them this week. Ask them if you can pray for them. 
Ask them. You know what they'll say? Oh, I don't need your prayers. No, they won't say that. How many know people want prayers? Anybody know that? They want prayer. How many believe that God can do miracles? Anybody believe that God can do miracles? How many he can heal, heal the sick, sick and raise the dead? Anybody believe that? Anybody believe that? That's what happens. People say, well, why, why don't we see more healings? Because the, the body of Christ has decided that's simply for evangelists. And half of the time, they're goofy. I want you to pray for somebody that's sick this week and expect them to get better. I want you to talk to somebody that you've never spoken to before and expect them to listen. I want you to be used by the Holy Spirit. Go! Go in the power of the Holy Spirit. Go! Come on, lay your hand on somebody's shoulder. Come on, lay your hand. Father, in the name of Jesus, may your Spirit rest upon these individuals. We lay our hands on one another and say, Receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Receive the power of the Holy Spirit. May the gifts of the Spirit operate in your people that their lives would be transformed and they would become individuals who will make disciples, make followers, make followers of Jesus. Father, may our doors be open to the broken, the wounded, the hurting, the lost. In the name of Jesus, I surrender it all. I surrender my life to you in Jesus. Now we're going to start right now as we complete this service. May the Lord bless you, keep you, make His face shine upon you, be gracious to you, and give you peace. Now wait, as you leave this place, talk to somebody about their faith. No, right now, right now. Do you know lots of unsafe people come to church? Did you know that? Talk to somebody, lead somebody to Jesus right now. Just the person next to you, just turn around to them and say, how's your faith? What's going on with you and Jesus? Ask, well, I dare you. They'd be able to run it out Find somebody. Confirm their faith. May the Lord bless you. Meet me back in the Welcome Center if you're new. Sing. Sing.